Hello, people! Game of Thrones fans, Life of Fire fans, welcome to Take the Black Live, the show where I, Dan Selke, the editor of WinnersComing.net, and Cheryl Wassenaar, the editor of Culturist.com, discuss all the latest news related to Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, fantasy, science fiction, celebrity, whatever else we feel like talking about. Pretty much. We have a lot of people in the uh, chat today. Hey, Philip, Margaret, Cody, Stephanie, Julie, Natalie. Susan, a lot of you are here today, so thanks for joining us, and let's get right to it. Let's do All it. All right, we got a bunch of news to cover today. Um, we, we have a really, I, I think we, the experts at WIC, I think we've nailed down when we very much suspect the Game of Thrones season at premiere will premiere. Beautiful. Uh, we have some discussions about uh, tragic losses, and let's talk about that first. Okay. Okay. This is a tragic loss in the Game of Thrones community. Kit Harrington, who's played Jon Snow since the beginning, has shaven his facial hair. Jon Snow beard, which uh, we will be seeing here on the screen. And an old friend, not a great beard. I mean, it's not like it's Tormund Giantsbane beard or anything, but we've seen it for a long time. Uh huh. Been there forever. And it's significant. And he showed up um, a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. I think it was in a reel to honor the birthday of the late British playwright Harold Pinter, of all places, he showed up and Kit Harrington, long bearded, long beautiful, with that Jon Snow northern beard, didn't have it anymore, baby face as a three-year-old or a newborn, um, just, it's, it's over. And to me, I always said, I would know when Game of Thrones was over um, when Jon Snow cut off his hair. Because more than his catchphrase, more than his accent, more than his sword, more than his wolf, what defined Jon Snow, and maybe all of Game of Thrones for me, was the hair. It was long, it was luscious, it was dark, it was uh, very intense, and now, now the beard is gone. This really means he's done. He's, that means he can't, I mean, I guess they could just put a, a facial wig on him or something. But it means he can't go back and shoot more Game of Thrones. It's over, Cheryl, how do you feel? He has gotten permission to shave the beard. And I mean, look, Kit Harrington is still super cute. Still approve of Kit Harrington. Oh, sure. He looks better with the beard. I'm not going to lie. But I am also sad. Like, I am in mourning for Kit <laughs> Harrington's beard and the end of Game of Thrones shoots. Like, I'm just a little hurt, Dan. We have to, we have to start on this sad note. It's a little bit how, how do you feel? I thought about that. That's the reverse problem, where he had facial hair and they had to, like, special effects it out well they would have to special effects it back in at this point or again or just give him a thing yeah but the thing would like, be you can noticeably just, fake I, that's not i don't think that's true because i mean come on like daenerys sansa it's all wigs they all just wear wigs on their heads i How have clocked daenerys targaryen's hairline for many but seasons millions have not millions think she's a platinum blonde millions of folk do not recognize Amelia clark in public because she's a brunette how many of you out there watching completely buy the wig work on Game of Thrones uh, and didn't know that Amelia Clark was not a platinum blonde until it was pointed out to you after watching the show? I think, I mean, I'm sure others are like you, but I don't think. Like, I thought Sophie Turner was a redhead for a long, long time. I mean, Sophie Turner and Lena Headey definitely had better wig work than Oh yeah, Amelia Clark. But Amelia Clark's hairline. Also, Lena Headey. You're right. The point but is, Amelia they can do Clark's hairline. Wigs and show business. Yes. But it is too bad. 
I'm just being Ooh, difficult. Marilyn yeah. asks why Kit Harrington can't be Agent 007, which we'll talk about a little later, because apparently there's a bunch of talk around Game of Thrones cast members as the next James Bond. We'll get to that in a bit. Oh, we, we have plans to go beyond the wall. Okay. But that is later. See in a minute. Okay, next up. What's next up? Um, more, and Karen loves the wigs. I do too. Um, yeah, and that's Karen Parrott and Karen Karstens. Well done, even if you know it's a wig, don't really have a bother with it. Me neither. The wigs are great. Um, okay, more sad news. Uh, Peter Dinklage has been doing a press tour for his new HBO movie, My Dinner with Hervé, where he plays, um, I don't know why I set myself up for this, a uh, actor named Hervé Vitachese, I think his name is pronounced. Anyway, he's been, he's been giving a lot of interviews, saying a lot of things, and some things are alarming fans. I'm going to read a quote that Peter Dinklage, Tyrion Lannister, gave to Vulture that, frankly, it's, 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 it's close to being a spoiler. It's just very pretty blatant. Okay. Here's Peter Dinklage talking about how he felt about Tyrion's end, how he felt about the end of the show and how his character ended up. I feel very, very... I'm trying to find the right word. I think he was given a very good conclusion, no matter what that is. Death can be a great under that. Like, they all, the cast members always say, like, uh, I can't say anything or I'll be punished. Like, well, not anymore. <laughs> like, you've got your paychecks, man. For all we know. No, because... Jamie or Nikolai Costa-Waldo already has his paycheck, remember? Because the lawsuit? You know that lawsuit. You're right. You're probably right. (laughs) We Um, know 200 of these people. Yep. So, (laughs) yeah. Like, that's that's a little little suspect. And I'm very intrigued to see what happens. I believe we have talked about possibilities for Tyrion in episodes of Take the Black Club. We have. Take the Black Club, the... uh, Patreon-funded extra form of Take the Black Live and indeed uh, WIC in general where we have extra articles, uh, extra videos, stickers, t-shirts, all that good stuff. We can check it out on winnerscoming.net. And we go on. Um, and I think you're, you're right in that he may be preparing us for Tyrion to take a turn. I'm getting really nervous. Like, at this point, evidence starting to mount. Yeah. And even though... I really want Tyrion to live through it all. Ugh, they're starting to talk. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get nervous. Yeah. How are, how are the fans feeling? Let's see. Uh, how are you? And don't worry, we're, we're on uh, the date in a minute. Although, I should caution you, it is our educated guess, not a certainty. <laughs> okay, funny. Okay. Let's talk about uh, the next topic, which is the... Potential Game of Thrones season eight premiere date. So we've been talking about a lot. Mm. Uh, we're all wondering it. We only have six Actually. episodes left. We have one season of Game of Thrones left. When's it going to happen? When are we going to get to see it? Okay. So I put together what I think is a pretty convincing argument for when Game of Thrones season eight is going to debut. So you, you already you did math, is what you're saying? I did addition. It's um, still math. Go on. All right, you all ready? Okay. So we learned a couple days ago that HBO Network. I know, Karen. I don't want Tyrion to die either. And maybe he won't. We're not sure. We're just going to wait it out. Okay. Okay. Uh, a couple days ago, HBO announced that True Detective uh, Season 3, the returning uh, season of its kind of bizarre, baroque, opaque, dense, mind-melding, mind-twisting uh, crime show, mm-hmm. is returning on... Blah, 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 blah. January 19th? January I think? 13th. 13th. See, I can't do Sunday, that. January 13th. All right, January 13th. With uh, Mahershala Ali in the main role, which would be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm very into that. I'm into okay. that. 
Anyway, that yeah. show will have eight episodes in its third season. So its finale will air on Sunday, March 3rd. My birthday. How fun. Okay. Okay. March 3. Now, we know that Game of Thrones season is going to come in the first half of 2019. That's yes. been said by the producers. And uh, when a rumor broke out that it might air later than that, James Hibbert of Entertainment Weekly got on the case, did some damage control. He's kind of the HBO mouthpiece over at EW and said that first half of 2019 means just that. And HBO expects the show will air all its episodes in time for the 2019 Emmy eligibility cutoff, which is May 31st. Okay. So we know that it has to air later than March 3rd, and we know that it has to wrap up before May 31st. Okay. Right. Here's where the next thing comes in. So okay. the way we figure it, Game of Thrones season eight, probably the most, I think this is fair to say, technologically sophisticated and advanced season television that will ever be produced yet. I think, it, I, I'm not sure what else could possibly be it. Seems fair. Go on. Anyway, uh, it's shot forever. It's in post-production now. They're still going to have to edit in Dragons for a long time. We figure that right after True Detective, they will air Big Little Lies Season 2, which is, okay. I believe, finished shooting? Or is it still shooting? Uh, it might still be shooting. Anyway. Uh, but, okay. It's a much less intensive show than Game of Thrones, obviously. No dragons in that show. Yeah. In just, Monterey. Just Meryl Streep. You know. Meryl Streep. Let's, that's low tier. No, just kidding. And that I love have Meryl seven Street. episodes. Okay. So that would air under this formulation on uh, March 10th, Sunday. March 10. And then uh, wrap up at seven episodes on April 21st. So. <laughs> Happy Easter. Here's murder. I think Easter actually is, is actually the Sunday after that. Oh, that's right. Look this up. <laughs> Happy Easter. Here's dragons. Exactly. So if they keep going in an unbroken chain... The way we figure it, Game of Thrones Season 8 will premiere the Sunday after the finale of Big Little Lies Season 2 on Easter Sunday, April 28th. And they do not take Easter off. It's aired on Easter before, and they've never had a problem with it. Mm -hmm. So April 28th, that would leave the next six weeks for the next six episodes. The finale would be on June 2nd, which would be one episode over the Emmy cutoff, but... Those can get grandfathered in. Correct. So the under the way under the way the rules are set up. So the rule basically is that you have to have the majority of the episodes air before the cutoff date. And in this case, five of the six would air before <laughs> your cutoff date. Are fans losing their minds in the comments, Dan? Uh, no, they're just accusing me of dragging it out. Oh, well. I'm trying to make every step clear and lay out the logic. I mean, he, he's defense. showing his work, guys. He's showing his work. Exactly. I thought about this for minutes. Whole minutes, mm -hmm. even. I'm impressed. So, yes. So, by Emmy rules, yes, it would be eligible for the 2019 Emmys. Um, Happy Easter, Here's Dragons kind of sounds great, frankly. That could be a fun ad campaign. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of into it. I could work that in. I wonder why. Like, it is risen sort of thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Sweet. Don't let the laughter dis discourage you from that. Um, my question is, why can't HBO air the Big Little Lies finale and the Game of Thrones premiere on the same night? Oh, I actually hadn't thought about that. It does make sense. They Just a question. They absolutely could. Um, right, and that would, that would make it so every single episode would get in before the May 31st date mm -hmm. and be in complete compliance with EW's uh, statement. So, hey, that's a good new idea. It might be April 21st, but right in that range. Yeah. Makes the most sense. 
God, that would make that actually makes a lot of sense because then they would have like a um, a big like a Game of Thrones lead in to Big Little Lies or the other way around, which benefits either show in either case. And it would also break the internet. They want to get a lot of eyeballs on that. It really would break the internet. So that's what I'm calling. That is my statement. I'm sticking to it. If I am wrong, may uh, lightning strike me down. I'll risk it. I'd pay money to watch that. I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> April 28th. That's what I'm going with. Oh, that's a good alternative. April 21st. Yeah. Or oh, completely wrong. It's on March 10th. Anyway, that's what's happening. Do you guys agree? Disagree? Let us know. I hope it ends up. Yes. And I agree. Hope that's uh, the correct news. Listen, it's not that far off, guys. Whenever it ends up, we've got like only a few months left. It's finally coming around. It's been, it's been forever. Yes, it okay, has. Before we let you go, Cheryl. Yes, Dan. Let's go beyond the wall for a second. Oh, boy. And talk about some non-Game of Thrones news. Although mm-hmm. this case kind of related. So I mentioned James Bond earlier. Kit Harington for James Bond, which actually has been talked about a little bit. Mm. Like there was a report that, what studio makes James Bond again? Uh, Eon Production. Oh, uh, MGM. MGM, yeah. Like requested... Um, a mock-up of Kit Harrington in the James Bond outfit. That was a rumor. It sounded kind of silly, but it it's is. possible. He has dark hair. You like that. Mm. But uh, the bigger rumor that's been making the rounds the past couple of days, uh, reported by, yeah, who reported it? The Daily Mail, I believe, reported that uh, Richard Madden, who played Rob Stark on Game of Thrones, is in heavy consideration to pick up where Daniel Craig left off and be James Bond what do you think of that, Cheryl? Would. <laughs> do I have to say anything else other than yes, please? You don't have to. I mean, I'd appreciate it if you would. I mean, I'm strongly into it. I think he has kind of this steely... Because here's the thing. Like, James Bond can be quite charming, obviously, mm-hmm. and suave and roguish and all of those things. And Richard Madden mm-hmm. has those qualities. But Richard Madden also has a little bit of the, uh, the steel core required to be James Bond because James Bond is also a cold-blooded spy and murderer um though he is doing it of course for queen and country most of the time (laughs) um and I think Richard Madden would be more able to embody that dual nature better than Kit Harington would Kit Harington is too nice Richard Madden looks like he could be a little dangerous Oh, by the way, I take it back. The Kit Harrington room wasn't about James Bond. It was about him playing Batman, potentially. And no. ordering things to... Ordering mock-ups of him in the Batman suit. I hate everything that just came out of your mouth. I don't know. Not he's, you. He, he's a really broody guy. He's a broody kind of dark sensibility. He's not the right kind of broody. Okay. There's different gradations to broody, and Kit Harrington's broody is not the same as Bruce Wayne's broody. That's that's a rumor, though. As yeah. as, as Rob Stark as James Bond, I'm actually quite into that. I yeah. Think, I think he has the right look. Strongly support. I mean, he has the acting chops to pull it off. He does. He's a Brit. I'm a little disappointed that that would mean Idris Elba wouldn't be it because I thought that was a cool act casting choice too. But I wish Matter would be a perfectly acceptable uh, second runner-up. I'll take I'll take anyone that isn't Daniel Craig at this point. You don't so. like Daniel Craig? I think Daniel Craig was great. Nope. He's not a fan. Okay. Nope. Different podcast. Okay. And uh, Liz Fair, also not a fan of Kenharrington as Batman. I don't know. I don't know. Think about it, Liz. The more you think about it, I think the better you, more, more you come around to it. The more I think about it, the more my face starts to kind of crinkle up into, a, into disapproval. So. Renee says, James Bond is an assassin. Maybe Maisie Williams should play him. 
first female? Uh, Good, I've, I've, no? I've heard Barbara <laughs> Broccoli recently say that no. I love that name, by the way. It's Barbara great. Broccoli. It's great. It's great. Okay, in other uh, non-Game of Thrones news, yes. but kind of related, um, Netflix has canceled Iron Fist, starring Game of Thrones' own Finn Jones, the guy who played Loras Terrell for six straight seasons on the show. He got a show canceled. He played superhero named Iron Fist on Netflix, part of the Marvel suite of superhero shows, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage. The first one to be canceled. Um, here's my question for you, Cheryl. Netflix doesn't cancel a lot of shows, and Marvel being such a hot property, I'd figure it would be even more keen to keep those around. How badly did Finn Jones' show have to do for Netflix to cancel it? Okay, look... Here are my feelings on Iron Fist, and they will lead into why I think Netflix canceled it. Okay. Stand by for hot take. It's not really a hot take. All right. Stand by for a lukewarm take. <laughs> can be summed up in five words. Danny Rand is a weenie. All right. Checks out. And because Finn Jones's portrayal mm-hmm. is, in fact so permeated by an aura of being a weenie <laughs> that it's just not believable. I mean, you watch The Defenders, and The Defenders is basically the best the best of Danny Rand that you're going to get, right. and you still go, oh my God, he's a weenie. <laughs> and so it ruins the quality of the show. I don't think the show was run well anyway. And I just think that Netflix finally saw the writing on the wall with it and were like, you know what? We're not going to do this anymore. I mean, with the critical, uh, the more positive critical responses that even like Daredevil, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage have all gotten, it makes it quite a stark difference when you look at how Iron Fist has been received. It was. That was like a string of hits and then they just... Nobody seemed to like that. Nobody liked Iron Fist. Some people liked Iron Fist season two a little bit, but I mean, but not enough. Obviously. Not enough. I mean, I watched the first season, didn't watch the second season, and I'm guessing I wasn't alone because I'm sure. it's canceled. Yes, and my other thing too is I wonder how much the Disney and Fox deal has to do with it because Disney is also planning to launch its own streaming service, it is. and we're still not sure even what's going to happen with Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and the like. Um, I was surprised to hear that because I thought I figured they would be going over to the Disney service, but they might stay on Netflix. It's a little murky. We don't know if either what's happening quite yet. Um, Disney's isn't expected to launch until next year anyway. Um, But yeah, it is. It is a little bit wild. It is a little bit bonkers. (laughs) I am interested. Oh, really quick. Yes. Julie has a question for you from Australia. Hi, Julie. Uh, What's a weenie? What does that mean? Not all American vernacular translates, Cheryl. No, but it's the most... um, What's the best way to describe a weenie? A weenie is basically, Julie... um, uh, Do you know what a wuss is? It's kind of a wuss. Um, I wonder how many other words we use that we don't realize... Don't translate. Don't translate. That's for another another show. (laughs) Um, Basically, Danny Rand is Finn Jones's portrayal of Danny Rand mm-hmm. is not believable okay. because he's supposed to be the immortal Iron Fist. And basically his power is he punches things really hard with a glowy hand. He does. Okay. That's true. But there's a way to make that believable and Finn Jones does not have that. 
And so his portrayal of Danny Rand ends up coming off as a bit of a whiny, entitled dude who comes back and expects the world to bow to him because of his super magic glowy fist, but he can't even sell the super magic glowy fist. I, I did think he kind of lacked the charisma of the other three leads. Exactly. But, um, it's over now. And too bad for Finn Jones. It, the, the press release did say he'll still, like, that Danny Rand will still be around, so he might still be in The Defenders or something, but he'll have his own show. I mean, at this point, just do Heroes for Hire with Luke Cage and Danny Rand, but I don't want Danny Rand to harm Luke Cage. We will have to see how it plays We out. will have to see. I hope that helped, Julie. I hope that helped define what a I think she said, uh, thank you, and I, uh, yep. So I think, I think she got it. We have translated. Okay. Great. Well, Cheryl, thanks for joining us. I think Thank now you, we're going to invite Josh Hill on for A Song of Dan and Josh. Before you do, um, here's a little more about Wick Club, in case you're interested. Bye, everyone. <laughs> oh, Ned Stark, will you ever learn? No, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. I'm Dan Selke, the editor at WinnerIsComing.net, your one-stop shop for all things Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, and genre fiction in general. We here at Wick love bringing you news, reviews, and editorial content, and we're going to keep doing all that stuff. However, for the especially hardcore among you, we're going to start offering even more. Welcome to the Wick Club. The Wick Club is a Patreon-funded effort to provide fantasy and sci-fi fans with even more Wick content. You can join at several levels. For $1 a month, you can enter into monthly swag giveaways and get to read extra columns. At $4, you'll get to watch extra episodes of Take the Black Lie, our weekly chat show, with topics chosen by you. Please be gentle. And at the Valyrian Steel level, that's $10 a month, you get Wick Club t-shirts and access to a new segment we're calling Drinking and Knowing Things, a monthly live stream where I drink wine and talk with all of you in a free-flowing conversation about Game of Thrones, fantasy, sci-fi, and whatever else comes up after I've had a few. Just to be clear, we're not going to stop doing anything on WIC we already do, and we're hoping to add more stuff anyway. The WIC Club is a way to produce even more content, and hopefully to get to know some of you better. You can find links to more information below. We hope to see you in the WIC Clubhouse. Valor Morghulis, bottoms up, and thanks for watching. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to A Song of Dan and Josh, the second half Take the Black Live, the show where yeah. fan-sided zone Josh Hill and I talk through every chapter of George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire novels, picking them apart to see what makes them work, what makes them not work, and just what makes them tick. Why are the books great? Why are they not great? Where do they come up short? Where do they soar to the heavens? Um, I've read the books multiple times, Martin's novel, Song of Ice and Fire. Josh has never read the books. This is yep. his first time through, although you have seen the show. Yep. And uh, we just talked the chapters one by one. And we hope you join with us and we'll be reading along. Right now, we are at, we're almost <laughs> done with the first book in the series, A Game of Thrones. And we are at Daenerys 9. Yes. Which is... A very sad chapter. Yeah. I was going to say the most downer chapter yet, but we did come off Ned dying in front of his daughter's eyes. Maybe not, we, I, I, maybe not quite that far, but pretty... It's very distressing. It's a distressing chapter. She is at a low point all the way through. Yes. And by the way, um, from Bet's long break asking, when's the premiere date? Our best guess, Bet's, uh, is April 28th, is what we are uh, guessing. And Grant Edwards says, boo yeah, here comes the hype train, choo-choo. Couldn't agree more. That's right. Okay. Daenerys 9. Yeah. Um, the first thing I want to talk about 
is this chapter opens with a pretty lengthy dream sequence, mm -hmm. a pretty evocative one, I yeah. thought. Um, lots of things kind of flash through Daenerys' mind mm -hmm. into the text. Waking the dragon recurs. She dreams about having sex with Drogo. Dreams about her brother angry and dying with molten gold pouring down his face like you do. She has visions of the man her stillborn son will never end up being like mm -hmm. his, her son if, if he was a grown man. Visions of Rhaegar with her face. Visions of herself giving a painful birth to her dragon. And now the stone was gone and she flew across the Dothraki Sea high and higher. The green rippling beneath and all that lived and breathed fled in terror from the shadow of her wings of becoming a dragon. Yeah. My question to you is just what was your reaction to this dream sequence? Was it effective? And do you think this kind of thing should have been kept in the show? Because they never do this on the mm -hmm. show. Like, they never did anything remotely like this. Yeah. Well, first of all, hello, everybody. Um, yeah, I, I think they should have included it in the show. Although I can understand yeah. why. Because it was that first season budget. And they clearly blew through it in numerous parts that we saw. I mean, so they you, were filming like 18 different places around the world. It was yeah, so, you know, if this happens, which I guess to your point is we haven't really had a dream sequence even when they've had the budget. So yeah. I, they I, avoid dream sequences yeah. straight up. They it was like very them. vivid. Like, it, it was very, it, it was effective. Like you got it. And it's part of what made the chapter so distressing is because Daenerys, this whole chapter is just so helpless. Yeah. inside of her own mind inside of her own body inside of her own world she just has no way to help herself and the the, the dream kind of segueing from the last chapter into this one really kind of set the table for this is going to be a weird it reminded me of the chapter with when catelyn has her her uh, fever dream. dream yeah it's the same thing it gets it across and it it goes a long way too in endearing Danny in a lot of ways too, because it's like she is this character who you can invest in because she's struggling. She is the underdog here, literally in her own mind. She is the <laughs> underdog. So I, I, I found that was yelling at her. She's yeah, like some of the language is, is very, very uh, brutal. Like mm -hmm. the bit where she's kind of giving birth to this dragon. It's yeah. like a, a pain splits her back and yep. like claws out. It's it's really. It's harsh. And, there, and there's been a lot of language like that in, the, in these books. Mm -hmm. I keep going back to that description of the white putting its uh, hand down Jon Snow's mouth. Yeah. is very evocative. This also, the fever dream and the language in it and how vivid and visceral it is. Because we know, or I know, and everybody who's seen the show knows that this is rock bottom. This is, this is a rock bottom for her, yes. So we don't know this at the time. If you're reading it for the first time, this is rock bottom. But as we know, her arc goes beyond this, and she starts swinging upwards. But as far as a depiction of hitting rock bottom, mm -hmm. I thought that this was very effective because it doesn't get any more scary than being lost in your own mind, being out of control in your own dreams and suffering this pain and torture in this place that you're supposed to have total control over your subconscious. This is literally inside of your head and she is being tortured by her mind. And this is complete rock bottom. So I think that was effective in that way too, where it's setting up this, this narrative for Danny that this is as bad as it gets. And it really kind of changes her from here because she's a different character from here on out. Maybe not necessarily directly after this, but we can reference this and go back and forth and say, this, is, this was the bottom for her, and it was a very vivid image of somebody hitting rock bottom inside their own head. It has a great flow to it. It's mm -hmm. kind of got a stream of consciousness thing, which is yep. the, the cliche when you come to dream sequences, but it's a cliche for a reason. Like that's, you don't write dream sequences like they're literal events that are happening. Yeah. He, is, he does a great job of kind of stringing together these weird, disparate images that don't really don't really 
connect to each other, but that's mm-hmm. the way it's supposed to feel. Yeah. I did like it. Uh, Karen has a comment. They keep repeating, don't want to wake the dragon. Yeah. Is it a premonition of the Nerys of Dragons being born? 100% Karen, oh, yeah. I think that's it. This is supposed to foreshadow her actually giving birth to the real dragons, them hatching in a couple of chapters from now. And don't give birth, don't, she's the dragon. Like She is. She's, she's the, the dragon, dragon that we're talking She's going to have dragons. So it's all very it metaphorical. It works that way too. I mean, personally, I actually like that they don't do dream sequences in the show. I think dream sequences, I mean, don't you think they can be kind of a crutch for filmmakers sometimes? Just when you, I mean, they're an excuse to get arty and nonsensical. I I think they can go wrong really easily. And I actually respect the show a lot for just keeping it always grounded. I don't disagree. Yeah, I I don't disagree. But I think that because it was the first season, Mm -hmm. they maybe could have gotten away with it in that it was already something where you were capturing the attention of people who maybe otherwise wouldn't be have their attention captured by a fantasy show because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. This was a show that you could you could mistake for a medieval show coming into it and then get sucked in by all the fantastical right. elements of it. And I think they maybe could have got away. Now I don't think they can get away with it because it would be a crutch that they're being too artsy and they're doing all this and that. But I think maybe in that first season there was a window where they could have been, when they were really oh, kind yeah, of creating sure. the shows. They could have. They could have, but now but I don't think so. should they have? That's my question. Uh, it depends on who directed If they the would episode. have done the dream sequence, we would have been having like a black and white musical episode by season five, and I would not <laughs> have liked that. Uh, Good for you for having restraint, Game of Thrones. You don't want to watch Tyrion doing the uh, old Charlie Chaplin? I mean, of course the, I the would, kid. but I shouldn't <laughs> want to. That's it's a true. bad instinct. It's true. But yeah, of course, I'd, see, I'd be all over it. Um, okay, uh, really quickly for you and for other viewers out there mm-hmm. who might be reading for the first time, George R. R. Martin does, to his credit, set up some motifs here that will recur a lot in Daenerys' mm-hmm. story. There's a recurrent vision of her looking at a red door, um, and she could not look behind her, must not look behind her. There's a door ahead of her, tiny with distance, but even from afar, she saw that it was painted red. Just a little preview, that is a motif, literary motif, that recurs a ton, and he'll use it a lot, so put a pin in it. Have fun. All right. After Daenerys wakes up from her uh, catatonia, from her fever dream, mm-hmm. she wakes to a bad sitch. Yep. Um, the Drogos Kalasar has pretty much left. She has like a few stragglers, old men, women, children, yep. who didn't leave with them because as Jorah explains to her, yeah, Khal Drogo's alive, but I mean, he can't do anything and they're not going to follow him. He's a, he's a vegetable. They, those Rocky follow the strong, so they are out of here. Um, the the Kalasar is broken up, led by a bunch of different leaders now. Drogo led them all before, and now they're like splinter groups. Basically, all the plans have fallen apart while she's been sleeping in mm-hmm. this um, fever dream situation after the birth. And Mary Mazder tells her that her baby was born, but it was born, and I love the description too, with Brutal. like the wings of a bat yep. and the flesh sloughed off the skin, and its body was full of grave worms. It was born a mutant freak and it was stillborn mm-hmm. so Daenerys wakes up to find like everything has gone to hell um where do we even start with this let's uh, you, yeah. well it was I, I, I felt it was very effective in getting across she just had this fever this nightmarish fever mm-hmm. dream and she wakes up and the nightmare is reality yes it's, j- it's not as fantastical as the dream sequences but life is just as given awful. birth to a bat wing 
grave worm full baby is pretty fantastical. It is, but somehow, somehow it's, it's worse than the fever dream because it's reality. Yeah. You would think that that is part of the dream and it's not. So the idea that she can wake up from something terrible and real life is even worse, I think is a, a, an interesting analogy that can be used everywhere. I wonder if they should have like showed that freak baby on TV. They didn't. And they didn't do it in the show either. Mm -hmm. But uh, what could have been? Um, I want to talk about, as always, uh, culpability for here, for, here yes. for a bit. Because there's a question here of who is responsible for this. So Daenerys blames Miri Mazdur, the witch woman who, you know, revived Khal Drogo, albeit as a vegetable, in exchange mm -hmm. for, apparently, the life of Daenerys' child. So there's a question of who, 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 who's really at fault here? So is Miri Mazdur at fault? Because I, I don't think she ever lied to Daenerys. Like, basically, she said, I can save Khal Drogo. Mm -hmm. She didn't mention that she'd save him to be a vegetable. Mm -hmm. And the only reason Daenerys' baby dies is because Jorah carried her into the tent while Mary was doing this spell. Mm -hmm. And because the tent is all full of dancing skeleton ghost people, um, they got into her womb and did what they do. Um, <laughs> who's responsible? Is it Mary who's responsible? Is Jorah responsible? Is Daenerys responsible for... Wanting this, she could have just let Khal Drogo die. Yeah. And uh, she wouldn't have had a cursed womb. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think everybody's responsible here. Mm -hmm. Everybody shares some responsibility for this. Um, it does remind me, it reminded me of the episode of The Simpsons, one of the trios of horrors where they get the, um, the monkey's paw. Yeah. And they get the three wishes. Yeah. And Homer's last wish is for a turkey sandwich, but the turkey's dry. <laughs> turkey's dry. So he didn't specify. It kind of reminded me of that where she's like, yes, I'll save Drogo, but he'll be a vegetable and it will cost you your child and all of these <laughs> things. You'll lose literally everything. Um, so I don't think she lied, but she wasn't entirely truthful. She was not. That's true. Which is like the weird not answer, not answer gray area of whether or not she lied, but she didn't outwardly tell a lie. It was definitely a lie of omission. Though. Yes, she was a lie of omission. But at the same time, Daenerys is responsible for this too, because she made the choice of, I want to save Drogo when he could have, she could have just let him die. Jorah is responsible. I mean, everybody here bears some responsibility. And I think that's more or less the point. There's no one true I think you're right. that person to blame here. It's a it's a concoction of everybody's everybody's self interest playing a role here. Daenerys wants Drogo to live; that's her interest. We've got you know what happened to the 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 witch lady. She clearly had a, a role to play in this. Jorah, we all know what Jorah feels about these things. Like so, everybody was responsible. In my As life. Kayla points out, or somebody pointed out. Oh, uh, yeah, Kayla pointed out the call for leading the men to harm the sheepmen. So called the whole reason they. Have Marie Mazdur here is because Khal mm -hmm. Drogo raided her village. Yeah, and as, as as she points out to Daenerys, she was raped before Daenerys got to her. Mm -hmm. She saw them kill her neighbors. Yep, I think her lines are and and Julie, you're right that they do do a very good job of this in the show and adapt it really well. She points out, look, before you came here, I saw the Dothraki kill a baker I knew, but my brother saw him kill a boy I'd cured of the fever like a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Like they destroyed my life and yep. they raped me a bunch. And now you're gonna come along and say, oh, I saved you. Oh, great, you saved me. Thanks a whole lot. This, right? is, this has been great. Yeah. So, I'm only like, my family is dead. All my people I know are dead. I'm a slave now, but thanks. Like that's basically her response. And I mean, I think she has a bit of a point. Yep. Like it's not like she's irrational there. Mm -mm. Like, yeah, she's alive, but 
she's only alive because one there happened to be one kind of nice lady who was with the uh, pillagers who d- burned down her village, burned down her life, killed everyone she knew, raped her, and enslaved her. Mm-hmm. So the idea that she should be thankful, or that she, or, or that that lie of omission was something she should be ashamed of, I think she has a really good point that, yeah, I, li- I, I told a lie of omission. And you know what? I'd do it again. Mm-hmm. I am glad that Khal Drogo is dead. He's not going to lead a Kalisar to pillage city. It's not going to kill anybody else. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a genocide. I'm a freaking hero. Yeah, and I like this idea of, you know, the <laughs> Daenerys... And Julie says uh, Martin is to blame. Martin is to blame. He is. Sure. That's true. That's true. That if there's one person on. to blame, yeah. it is George R. R. Martin for dreaming all of this up. <laughs> um, I do like the idea, though, that the, our character, uh, Daenerys, our, our hero, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, isn't flawless. There, there's people who Definitely. aren't just going to bow because she is the main character of this story or this chapter or what have you. There are people who are just... She's just this person who is a part of their own revenge scheme. Like, she is not special in that way, which is yes. interesting because she is held up. She's put on this pedestal of Khaleesi and all of these things, both in the book and in the fandom. Like, she is, she's Daenerys. She is, totally she's a agree. badass character. Show, yeah. And that carries a lot of weight. And the idea that this random nobody character, this, this background extra, can cause so much damage because of the story that exists beyond Daenerys mm-hmm. goes to the whole world-building thing that we've talked about with George R. R. Martin many times and shows how deep these characters are. And I just like the idea of, this, of, of characters not being invincible to random acts of revenge like this. I love it, it too. I, I, think, I love what you said about her not being special because... In any story, we expect the main characters are special. Like, that's just what happens in a story. Mm-hmm. Like, Luke Skywalker is literally... Use your Star Wars reference you love so much. Uh, he's like a chosen one. Yeah. Um, he is special. Um, Harry Potter is special. He's got a little scar on his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, another big one. I don't know. Uh, people are supposed to be chosen ones. Yeah. And even though Daenerys is clearly special, she's the last Targaryen whatever. By the way, this is the first chapter she, like... Whips out her titles. Yeah. She has a whole long list of them. <laughs> I'm Daenerys Stormborn, Daenerys of House Targaryen. Of the Blood of Egg and the Conqueror, <laughs> Maker the Cruel, and Ovalary before them. I am the Dragon's Daughter, and I swear to you, those men will die screaming. Fun, intimidating. Yeah. But, and again, it kind of starts for specialness. Yeah. But she's, in this world, she's not immune Mm-mm. to the consequences of not really even her actions. Association. The, uh, so, yeah, yeah, association. Like, she's vulnerable. They're all vulnerable. And mm-hmm. that is thrilling. I mean, this is basically what happened to Ned, who also is supposed to be special, not being special and yeah. can be killed. And that's part of what makes the story um, really good and unpredictable. I love that no character, big or small, is safe, says Kayla Stevenson. And I agree. Mm-hmm. That leads into my kind of final point. The chapter ends with Daenerys going to her vegetable husband and uh, kind of uh, bathing him, kissing him, laying with him, kind of treating him nice. He can't really respond to her. Yeah. And uh, she told herself that there were powers stronger than hatred and spells older and truer than any the Meiji had learned in a shy. Basically, that line to me is saying, like, love will conquer all. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. Um, at the end of the, like, the last line is, like, she smothered him to death with a pillow <laughs> yeah. herself. Love, love is not immune to smothering yeah. by pillow. Which is, it, which is another, like, uh, the, the idea that love will conquer all, then love can, you know... 
bring people back to life. Yeah. I mean, it's such a it's a, 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 a it's it's like a Disney idea, right? Like yeah. True Love's Kiss, mm-hmm. Frozen. I don't know. The one sister loves the other one, so she unfrozens. I think is what happened. Something like that. Um, he plays with that here for a second, saying that she told herself there are more power stronger than hatred. So bring back to that. Bring it back to life with love, mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen. She smothers him to death with the pillow. Like <laughs> yeah. that's that's the kind of story we're in. Yeah, where the love conquers all thing is not in play. No, at all, at all. And uh, we're in this other kind of story. Yeah, which I thought was a, a good way to end the chapter. It was, and it kind of it, it propels us a little bit on this new arc for Danny because mm-hmm. she was d- going down one track. It seemed. Where it was almost this, not to the same sense of Sansa's Disney princess idea of the world. It's but it a was, little similar, I was just thinking. Yeah, it was, because she, it was more, yeah, it was a sense of entitlement almost. Mm-hmm. Where she is, she Khaleesi, all these she's, things she says she, all of these things that she's busting out, and nothing can harm her, she is invincible. Mm-hmm. She's, she's even like this Princess Diana figure who yeah, comes in like, and is like, she, I will save these people. Yeah. yeah, and then she has this fever dream, loses her demon child, and goes full, <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest on her love of her life so i do like how everything comes crumbling down so tremendously in one chapter for her it was kind of teetering on the brink with drogo being ill and all these things which are kind of the warning signs of that when we talk about with sansa too this is not the dream world that you think it is you need to wake up and you know smell reality Mm -hmm. and now here it is and literally everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for her and she's really been reduced to the, the smallest I think she will be in this story. Yeah, probably. Assuming we don't know what happens in the show, but right. this is this is the lowest that that she can go. And it's only, so far, and yeah. yeah, pretty much ever. Like it, it's and and that's true for Sansa in a lot of ways too. Like I, th- I think that Martin does this a lot, where he takes everything away from a character. Mm-hmm. Like think of Jamie's hand yeah. or Theon's, um, you know, genitalia. Um, and in this case, Danny's husband dies. Sansa's father dies. Mm-hmm. But they reach the low point, and then they kind of rebuild themselves, all these people. That's a common track for him, and a really effective uh, arc for all these people, because yeah. you just you get invested in their happiness, and then in their downfall, and then in their rebuilding themselves stronger, better, faster, more capable. Yeah. That's what will happen to Daniel, that's what will happen to Sansa, that's what will happen to uh, Jamie, And it's just a, it's a dependable, solid arc that maybe we should do more of in fiction rather than love conquering all, all the time. Yeah. Not that it can't happen sometimes, but uh, it's fun to have a curveball <laughs> thrown at you. It is. All right. Any other thoughts, John, on Daenerys 9? No. It was good. Yeah. It was <laughs> solid. A, it's a solid chapter. Let's see. What is next? Uh, next week, we will be reading Tyrion. Tyrion something. I believe the last Tyrion chapter in A Game of Thrones. Ooh. We are almost done. We have like three chapters left, and well, then not a real estate. That'll be it. All right, and then on to a clash of kings. All right. Thank you guys for watching. We are available to listen to in podcast form on iTunes and Google Play. You can also join Wick Club for even more of this. Oh yeah. More videos, more articles, uh, t-shirts, stickers, party favors <laughs> of all kinds. That's on Patreon. Go to winnerscoming.net for more information on that. And uh, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back here next Wednesday at four p.m. Central for more Game of Thrones news, more Slunk of Dan and Josh, and more fun with you guys. Thanks a lot.